Welcome to Tarvalin Talks. In this very special two-part episode, Dahl, Diana, Fenya, and Thad are hitting the final episode of season two of the Wheel of Time TV show. Spoiler warning, this episode, like the others, will contain spoilers for both the TV show and the book series. When you're done with this episode, stay tuned for part two. So we start this episode um, with the cold open, which is 3,000 years ago, just like the cold open from episode eight of season one. And it is also entirely in the old tongue, which is so cool. I hope that they just continue this for all eight seasons. This is a great way to do it. Yeah, I agree, except that means we would only get eight of them. I want more. (laughs) I want all the old tongue. Maybe we'll get a whole season of old tongue if the show is super successful. That might be a little difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Just a whole Wheel of Time show that's entirely in a foreign made-up language. I would watch it. That could be the uh, Age of Legends prequel show. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah, It it would be a little difficult because there really are only about a thousand words in the language and there's no syntax. So... Like, somebody would have to actually completely conling the language. They've got time. Theoretically, they're probably doing that for the show already because, like, they have full sentences. Yeah. As we see in this opening, we have Ishamael, and Ishamael is being bound to the seal um, that we saw in episode eight of season one. Um, And Luce Theron is there, as well as presumably members of the Hundred Companions, although only men. Luce Theron, what are you doing? Where are your female Aes Sedai who are helping with this? They weren't. Yep. That's what the flaw was in the the seals. Very true. I did see like a bonus interview with the prop people that made the seals. And they were saying that there was each of the Forsaken's names are actually carved into the seal at some point in the, the old tongue script. Oh. So... I you don't know if you can see them on screen, but that going back, like that actually goes parallel with our, I think, Thad come up with the, that each seal was tied to a specific Forsaken, which just confirmed it. So like, if you look close enough, you should be able to find where their names are written and possibly where the, the poem that Maureen had gotten from Beldum on. Perhaps that's what that was. All right. Eagle-eyed Twitter of time, people. I'm going to need you to go and look and screenshot those seals and then do some rapid translation for us. Yes. <laughs> because we need to know who the Forsaken are. I have seen so many theories. This cold open does confirm another Forsaken for us. Louis Theron, while he is talking to Ishamael, mentions that he already has Samael as well as the others, but he calls out Samael by name. He also mentions Mogedian. Yes, he does mention Mogedian, but because Lanfear had already confirmed Mogedian oh, earlier in the season. So my theory for the six remaining Forsaken are Mog- Mogedian and Grendel are the girls. And then the boys are Samael, Asmodian, who has basically been confirmed because of the statue with the guitar. My guess is probably Demon Dread and Ravin are they going to be the other two guys, but I am not sure. That's based entirely on plot relevance. Uh, Ravin feels very pro- re- plot relevant, and we are going to Camelin next season, so Ravin presumably will show up in Camelin, if at all. Demon Dread! <laughs> We'll talk about it a little bit later in the episode, but I think if Demon Dread is a Forsaken, we can probably piece together that Mazram Taim and Demon Dread are not being combined in the show because they've already mentioned that Mazram Taim is out and about. And at this point, at the end of episode seven, beginning of episode eight, Demon Dread has not yet been activated and freed. If Demon Dread is in the show at all, Mazram Taim and Demon Dread are probably different people. 
I mean, they ended up different people in the books. Yes, but if I was Rafe, I would have combined them. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was dumb to split them apart. (laughs) Yeah, they ended up different people, but they shouldn't have been. They should not have been. Uh, That's all I had for the cold open. Any other stuff we want to talk about? This is the first time where Sean Mayo mentions just wanting to be dead. Is that something that is book canon? Because I don't remember. So, as you know, I went to the the fan screening in New York to watch the last episode last week. And Rafe mentioned at one point the interviewer that was asking the questions asked him about how he chose to, uh, let me see if I can find my notes here. Because that was brought up specifically. Well, I can't find it. It's buried in my notes somewhere. But um, he basically asked them how they, they chose to bring forth sort of the bigger arches. And he mentioned that that isn't something that Ishamel specifically would have said, but more than on the mountain with Rand really just wanted to die and actually die. And they chose to pull that forward earlier in the series so that it really came through and it helped push that art a little bit better than it would have if they'd waited till the end, which I'm sort of wondering if they're actually going to bring Moradin back. I mean, I got, I got to assume they have to bring Moradin in near the end of the series if we make it to the, the last book. I would think so. I was kind of planning on bringing that up a little bit later, given what happens near the end of this episode. So I mean, maybe it makes sense to save to save my thoughts on that for the end of the episode. But I yeah, okay, we'll save it. (laughs) Uh, I was gonna say I save it and then I was gonna get into it. So I'll save it. Okay, this I did find the exact question was, they were talking about how chose to represent these people that were once his friends in another life and how the actors made that come through. And he specifically said that because Asha Mayo in the books was a lot simpler and he was just a flaming face in the dreams, screaming nightmares at Rand, which doesn't really come across on the screen all that interesting. Like it's sort of a flat two-dimensional character they decided to pull those forward is what, what it was just to give him a little more of a sense of this is who he is and as a person rather than just being this scary nightmare in Rand's dreams, screaming things at him. I think that makes a lot of sense because speaking for myself, I don't remember Ishamael in the books like at all. So the fact that he has a character in the show uh, is appreciated. Yeah, like in the books, the first book, he is just a flaming face in Matt Rand and Perrin's dreams and then he becomes embodied you know at the eye of the world and Rand thinks he kills them but then he shows back up at Falmum where they fight in the sky and that's when Rand actually kills him and then you don't really get to see more of him at that point he does actually kill him in Falm right or is it Tear? I thought he kills him in Tear. He kills him in Tear. You're right. Yeah, because the first three books end in the same way. The first three books are, I killed the Dark One, and it's like, no, you didn't rant. Right. He <laughs> killed the Dark One. That was where he realized he wasn't the Dark One. Yeah. I, I still love Fenya. When Fenya was reading through the books, she was constantly texting me, Rand, you didn't kill the Dark One, you moron. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, it gave Ishamia more of a character than, like, because he didn't become interesting until he came back as Morden. So they pulled that forward in the book series to make it a, a more compelling story arc. Alrighty. And then after we, Ishamayel is sealed, uh, we pull away, the camera pulls up, and we get the opening theme! I know, it's back! It's back! <laughs> it's back, finally! So I feel like there's two explanations for why we have it back. One is very simple. One is a personal headcanon of mine. The first one is it's the season finale. Of course, we're going to bring the, the opening back for the season finale. That's not fun. I don't like that theory. My personal theory 
is that they brought this back because Moiraine can channel finally. Because the opening theme is Moiraine's song. That's a good theory. I like that. I think it's a little simpler than that. I think because the writer's strike is over, they were able to bring the credits back. Do writer? Do we need the writers to do the credits? I think it was a thing that the AMPTP was doing. To they, they were moving title credits from uh, writers and producers, or writers and directors, during the strikes to get back at them. And I think it's back because they signed a contract. That is rude as hell. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible, actually. They did it in multiple things. They removed title credits, but I could be wrong. It is a slightly shorter episode. Yep. It is only 65 minutes, so maybe they just had more time. Maybe they had a hard out at 70 minutes. <laughs> we will get into how much time this episode actually needed. Yeah. <laughs> because if any episode was going to not have the opening credits, it would have been this one, in my opinion. Right? Because it really could have had 10 more minutes. <laughs> or an entire... The pacing in this episode... I guess we're going to get into it right now. Okay. <laughs> the pacing in this episode is a hot mess. Like, I am really hoping that with season three, we break the season finale as a hot mess express tradition that we seem to be building with Wheel of Time. But this episode needed a solid extra 30 minutes to do all of the stuff that it wanted to do. We start out strong. I kind of disagree there. (laughs) Maybe this is because I had an unusual watching experience. I was watching it with some family who who were over, who are not Wheel of Time fans, do not know anything about the show. So I spent about half of my time explaining what was going on (laughs) uh, rather than actually watching the episode. But I didn't actually think it was a hot mess. I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, I, th- I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I, I, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more in some places. but Yeah, like, I, I, I would have loved to see a little more, but not to the extent w- what, what it sounds like you, Diana, where you needed more. So I think this episode starts very strong and gets weaker and weaker and weaker as the episode goes on. And then the final battle... I'm going to put that in heavy air quotes, is, eh? And then the end, I'm like, genuinely, what are we doing? But to begin with us starting out strong, we start with the White Cloaks sending uh, their child servants or like child White Cloaks. Acolytes. Yes, thank you. That's the word I wanted. Literal children of the light. (laughs) To to, uh, swing some incense um, in order to create this giant like incense cloud in order to cover their, uh, their, we'll see later, their like charge into Thalm. And then we go to the White Cloak camp. We f- we see Joffram Bornhold. Um, great additional cameo by Joffram to kind of remind us, like, hey, remember this good guy White Cloak who was in episode, I think, like three of season one who you haven't seen? Here he is. Oh, and by the way, here's his son. This is what we were referring to earlier, their father and son with Dane Bornhold. And they are talking about how they are going to take out the Shan Chan. And at which point my husband turned to me and was like, the White Cloaks are the good guys? And I was like, no, 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 no. This is the enemy of the enemy is my friend situation. The White Cloaks are not the good guys, don't worry. <laughs> we, can, we can have multiple enemies. There are enemies of each other. Doesn't make them our friends, just to be clear. Exactly. The White Cloaks are not the good guys. But I really liked that, like, I, I think that this came through a lot more in the show than in the this part of the books, that, like, there's a bunch of shades of gray amongst non-dark friend people. Like, you can be not a dark friend, but still kind of a jerk. Or that's putting it mildly, because I can't swear. <laughs> uh, and the dark, the white cloaks are a perfect example of that. 
that we then we cut away from them. We get to the ways with Lanfear, Moiraine, Lan, and Rand. Lanfear continuing to look phenomenal as she always does. Uh, I'm obsessed with that silver dress with the long sleeves that she has that she was wearing while destroying. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. It looks so good on her. And Lanfear is kind of like Moiraine, Lan. What are you doing back there? And she. Uh, and this is my notes are starting to get a little hazy, and it's been about a week since I've watched this episode. She kind of taunts her about, like, she asked her to open the way gate, and she's like, I can't. Ishamayel took my power from me. And Lanfear, like, compliments her for how good she is at twisting her words in the knot. She's like, I know that's not true. It's pretty cocky of Moiraine to be like, I can lie to a forsaken. Right? But I guess she did stab her and then <laughs> slit her throat, so I'd be feeling pretty cocky too. And she didn't technically lie. I mean, she said he took her power from her. True. Trist, twist the truth in front of a Forsaken. Yeah. Then Lanfear channels the Waygate open and channels some air and like pushes Lan and Moiraine through the Waygate right before she does that. She's like, raise the banner when it's time. Bye. <laughs> Yeet. <laughs> um, and then forces them through the Waygate and channels the Waygate closed. And Rand is immediately like, you channeled in the ways, which I was also like, you channeled in the ways, where is Ma Shin Shin? But Lanfear is unconcerned. Uh, she knows what she's doing, even though Ma Shin Shin didn't exist when she was lost in the ways, presumably, but she probably knows what the ways are doing. I mean, she's presumably been to the ways lately, so. The ways didn't exist in the Age of Legends. It was made by the Aes Sedai as Sidene was tainted. Yeah, that's right. But she's presumably used them in the last couple months. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, going back and forth with from Tarvon to Falm or something. Like, they clearly have been using them to transport people, if not the Trollocs that they used to attack Carrie and that didn't happen. But, uh, <laughs> they just, I guess she skims them out of there or something, because... I assume she full-on traveled them out of there. I didn't see a way, like, I didn't see a gate open, they just sort of disappeared. I didn't either. I've thought that that's probably because like Machin Jean comes and I'm assuming the gate is like right as it surrounds where they were. But this is, yeah, some some version of skimming or traveling out of the way is... I don't think it's possible, but... I don't think it's possible either. I was like, okay, we're playing fast and loose with the alternate dimensions in Wheel of Time. But, you know, whatever. We get traveling for the first time, or uh, maybe the second time, because we more or less got confirmation that they traveled when they brought Matt to Falm. Uh, then Perrin, Bane, Chiad, and Hopper are walking towards Falm, and they notice the incense cloud, and the maidens just seem, they're like, yep, this obviously means a battle. And I'll be honest, because it's out of focus in that, like, scene, I had to watch that scene a couple of times before I was like, what are they even talking about? <laughs> so they're more eagle-eyed than I am. I specifically want to call out the fact that Avienda says that Many people will wake from the dream today. And then the camera immediately cuts to Perrin and Hopper. Painful foreshadowing. Yes, painful foreshadowing. Perrin tries. He does tell Hopper to stay, which I think is very silly. Hopper is not a dog. Hopper is a wolf. Yeah. But he's trying. Perrin's doing his best <laughs> to protect our boy. Yeah. I mean, has Hopper ever listened to Perrin when he tells him to do something in the show, though? No. So what was he expecting, really? It's true. Hopper did presumably stay for a little bit and then was like, parents in trouble must help. Yes. <laughs> then we cut back to Lanfear, who is now in Ishamael's room. And Ishamael's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I brought Rand. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> 
And Shavail is not pleased. He's like, it's too early. He's not ready. He's not going to turn to us. And Lanfear is just like, oh, Ishi, like, if I hadn't done this, you would just have procrastinated forever, you silly boy. <laughs> and like, grabs his chin, does like, effectively like, pats him on the cheek. Like, their dynamic cracks me up every time. Yes. And then she's like, I told Rand I'd help him kill you. Yep. <laughs> It's hilarious. I love their dynamic. They're so, like, they're definitely lovers. They were clearly best friends. They just want their third boy back. <laughs> they want their lose back. Uh, it's really funny. And I love them sitting on the edge of Ishamayel's bed and, like, cuddling and, like, looking at the rest of the seals. It's, I just, I love, I love them. I could watch an entire show of just Ishamayel and Lanfear shenanigans i'm telling you that age of legends prequel series <laughs> that's all in uh the old tongue as the wheel weaves <laughs> yep yep oh my god it would be incredible we could see we could actually see lanfear break open the boar and be like whoops Oops. <laughs> my bad <laughs> i just want an additional power guys what's wrong with that <laughs> Then we go to the White Cloak Charge, charging through the incense, and it sort of like cuts from the White Cloak Charge to Thalm and back. It's very cool. I really hope that those acolytes got out of the way <laughs> and weren't run down. And the Sean Chan are like, what is happening? Like, what are these guys in the... They're just taken completely by surprise. The White Cloaks are already in Thalm by the time the Sean Chan are like, close the gates. I was very impressed with the White Cloaks. Like, Good plan. Good job, guys. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering what incense is that powerful. But otherwise, yeah, good plan. There was no wind that day, I guess. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's a desert. I feel like deserts are windy. Depends. Uh, it, I was going to say it's a sea town, but I think that's actually the town that they were filming in. I have no idea if that's... Falm is in the sea. Yeah, we do see water. Yeah, Falm is a coastal town. So I would expect wind. We could look at the map right here. <laughs> it's Falm right there. Yep. It's at the tip of the finger, right? Yeah, this, this is Toman's head. And then Falm is right here. Yeah. So it's a peninsula. Yep. I, I will remember that for this podcast episode, and then I will promptly forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to remember that. <laughs> we cut to Nynaeve, who now has the Soul Dom armor on, and she looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah. she. This is a very, very short scene, also, but I think very sweet, because Elaine, like, she's like, how do I look? And Elaine comes over and like just very gently like wipes her makeup in order to like kind of like blend her eyeshadow better and just something about how Sierra Coveney does it like her touch looks so soft I was like this is adorable I love this I like the development of their relationship that we've seen from being very antagonistic to uh, kind of grudgingly begrudgingly working together to actually working together I think that's been a really rewarding payoff for me at least yeah and we see that Soldom Retta, I think it was Retta. Is that her name? I thought it was Seta. Yeah, Seta, you're right. Seta is like crying and weeping, like, I can't channel. It, it just shows like just how scared and afraid she is that she's been collared because she wasn't supposed to be able to. Yeah, really. Uh, the beginning of the Sean Chan secret coming out, one of my favorite developments in the whole series. We get to a different Soldom and Dominate pair, a uh, less 
not that they're ever fun, but one that we enjoy significantly less with Egwene and Rena. Egwene is continuing to not listen to Rena. Rena, like Rena's, like the city's under attack. We have to go. Um, we've been called to defend it, and Re- Egwene refuses to get off her bed. So Rena is like, "If you don't listen to me the first time, I'll take your tongue. If you don't listen to me a second time, I will take your hands." And she kind of graphically exemplifies that by grabbing Egwene by the chin and like putting a knife in her mouth and forcing her to stand up that way, which was, I was like, ooh. (laughs) Looked really scary. She doesn't take Egwene's tongue for disobeying her. Instead, she takes her braid. Awful, awful. Really shows that Rena has like really been studying Egwene, really knows what makes her tick and knows what will hurt her the most. Mm -hmm. But my other note in this is this was bad battle strategy because now you have to rebraid her hair before you can actually go and defend Falm. So what are you doing right now? (laughs) I think they were going to rebraid it anyway because they clearly have like battle. How in the world do they, those intricate braids? Because by the time we get, we see her again, she's got those, you know, box braids in. I don't know how they did (laughs) Maybe they have a braiding circle like you do for sports. <laughs> Maybe they can do it, but with the power, just weave it with air. Oh, that would make sense. If it's a weave that you know. <laughs> I want that weave. I can't French braid my hair. Literally weave. <laughs> <laughs> Literally weave. I want it. We get to Pat and Fane and Ishamayel talking about giving the dagger to Matt. I thought this was super interesting because it had felt early. So we got earlier in the show, Pat and Fane not being under control of the Forsaken when he kills the Maedral. Then later in the show, it felt like we were getting Pat and Fane and Ishamayel kind of as uh, equals in some ways. But this feels like Pat and Fane is clearly Ishamayel's inferior. Like he calls him, I can't remember quite what he, he, like, he somehow refers to him with like an honorific. So he hasn't gone like full Shadar Logoth evil yet. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because when he gets separated from that knife, it's going to be, you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. I, I feel like we've had a little bit of a regression of how evil Pat and Fane is relative to how evil he will be. Yeah. So a little, little back and forth here, but but I'm interested to see where they're going with him. Ishamel, where Pat and Fane comes in to Matt, um, and he greets him the way that he always greets him, my best and poorest customer. And Matt is so confused. He's like, why are you here? Is everyone in FOM? Which, yes, Matt, everyone is in FOM. <laughs> And then we get back to the theme of Matt that we've had this entire season, Matt being in a room tempted by things. Because Ishamayel puts the dagger on the table and is like, I'm sure you'll be fine once I leave, right? Tee and then leaves. I mean, to be fair, that's pretty consistent with the books. That's all we get of Matt's character in the first couple of books. Yeah, true. I'm not going to defend my boy, even though I want to, because you're not wrong. <laughs> no, we're not. Matt just has a hard time until he gets freed of the dagger in the book. It's okay. <laughs> I love the way Donald Finn acts this scene because, like, when Pat and Fane is there, he's like barely moving. He like doesn't even look like he's breathing some of the times. And then as soon as Pat and Fane leaves, he gets all twitchy again, and he's like rubbing his nose and like sniffing and looking at the dagger and seems much more like nervous. I just I love I love twitchy Matt. I love how Donald Finn does twitchy Matt. Yeah. Then we get back to Nynaeve and Elaine with the Soldam, and Nynaeve is now in full torture mode, being like, tell us what your battle plan is, tell us how to find Egwene, and she has figured out how to use the Adam. She says that she can feel the Soldam in her back of her mind, and she just pushes. She's really giving in to that, almost to an extent, it felt out of character, almost. like I feel like Elaine managed to pull her back a little bit. I don't know. I think it makes sense that Nynaeve would do anything for 
the people that she regards as hers. True. And so it made sense to me that she was so all in on this because this is the only way that that they think they can rescue Egwene and she's going to do whatever she can to rescue Egwene. She's, you know, they've they've seen people die for for this already, like she's not going to let anything like morals or common decency stop her. So, very points out that she's not blocked when she's torturing Seta, but I don't think it was a matter of being blocked because she's using the the link between them. So she's pulling through the Adam rather than actually pulling the power herself. So yeah, since the Adam is making the connection rather than her embracing the power, it's not really an issue. And we don't see this in the show, but I assume, given how the Adam works, that if Nynaeve had needed Seta to channel that she could have still had Seta channel despite her block because it's pulling the power through Seta and not through Nynaeve herself. I think given how hard it was for the former Soldoms that we saw in the books to channel without the Adam, I think it's a completely different experience. Like... Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the powers of the Terangrial is basically to like create the link and then let you torture someone through the link rather than using the one power to torture them. Yeah, it's basically creating an artificial circle where you have all the power right. rather than it being a shared experience. I feel like there is a lot of out-of-character things that Nynaeve does in this episode and that the writers decided Nynaeve would do in this episode. This doesn't feel like one of them. Nynaeve being super pissed and thus torturing a person in order to go save Egwene feels pretty in character for her. The torture part, maybe, like how much she tortures her, is maybe a little bit extreme. That's what I said. It's borderline. It's not I think the whole thing is out. I think it went a little further than Nani would have taken it. I think she would have threatened a lot more than she actually did. So in the books, Nynaeve does get her hand on an Adon with a certain somebody. Do they use that Adon to torture that certain somebody? No. Nynaeve doesn't? I thought someone does. Not in that way. Okay. Uh, Nynaeve does issue the scariest, like, warning I've ever, like, threat I've ever heard somebody say, which right. I'll make you curse the first kiss your mother ever gave your father. <laughs> Incredible. I want to put that in my back pocket and save it for a time when I am, like, real pissed at somebody. Because <laughs> it's so good and so scary. Then we cut to Rand, who is in Falm. He has somehow gotten super close to the kennels. He's so sneaky, little sneaky boy. And he sees Egwene uh, with her hair rebraided going out with the rest of the Soldam and Damane to defend Falm. And I was like, Rand, go get her. She's right there. <laughs> go get her. But he doesn't. We go back to Matt and uh, the dagger and i'm presuming pat and fane again and pat and fane says i can see the shadow in you to which i am like what shadow <laughs> more lies he abandoned his friends to get the dagger which i'm assuming it's the connection to the dagger that he's sensing like that's the only thing that makes sense to me ishamayel has always been like matt was born mine and they keep being like matt is evil and i'm like no he's not stop stop with the lies and slander about my baby Matt is not evil. <laughs> he does have that connection with Mach- uh, not Machin Shin. Shadar Lagos. What is the one from? Uh, Mashadar. Mashadar, yeah. Why do they have to sound the same? I know, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, he does, but that doesn't make him born Ishamael's. Like, Ishamael's like, he was born mine. I'm like, 
Shamayo is an idiot. Okay, fair. He's also the father of lies. I should not listen to anything Shamayo <laughs> says. I am falling for what every other character in the show has fallen for so far. Right? <laughs> what have I been saying? Do not listen to the father of lies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we get to uh, Lan and Moiraine on the beach, where they or they've just come out of the way gate. They're like, where are we? And they wade through some water and go to a beach, and they're talking... Lan is basically like, rebond me. I want it back. And I am like, the bond is gone now? What happened? I don't know. It, it makes no sense. Like, this is, this is, by the way, Fenya, this is the beginning of the Hot Mess Express. That is this episode. Still don't know if I agree with you there, but. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, did she cut him off before they went to the eye? Like, is that? But, like, he's been saying, like, it was masked. Like, when he, at the end of episode eight of season one, he's like, let me back in. So, presumably, like, the bond is still there. And, like, I know other people have been talking about, like, or, like, Alana references that, like, she, the bond was severed. But, like, he had never used that language before until now. Yeah, I don't know. It's a continuity issue that, um, it, it gave us the scene, which was really sweet. So, Whatever. I I didn't need I didn't need to see how bonding worked between the two of them. But also, do we think so? Yes, he says in episode eight of season one to let him back in. But as you point out, like they talk a lot about bonds, his bond being severed in this season. Do we think that that's just him not understanding like the difference? Like they feel the same to him? No. Because Lan has used language this season that the bond is masked. That like he I'm trying to think of like exactly quite the phrasing. Would he would he know the difference is my question. I would assume that he would have lost more than just his ability to sense her. Well he did lose his ability to sense my draw and stuff or fades. Right. And the the strength and agility and all the other things that come with being bonded. So he didn't get suicidal, that's the most important part. Yeah. That would have happened at a death, not from being severed, though, right? The show implies that it would happen with it being severed because we have the conversation where Alana's like, well, you haven't tried to kill yourself yet. And also um, Maxim saying, oh, this is my other point. Maxim talks to Lan about the bond being masked and unmasked and where Maxim has that very weird conversation where he's like, oh, I thought I was the only one who could last that long. Does Alana release Maxim's bond and then rebond him and then release his bond only for like and then rebond him only for sex and battle and then like I was like what? <laughs> I think they're just very loose with what what it means to bond is all I can think. It's not my favorite like part of things. Like I wish they had made it a little less vague, and I'm not a fan of how they handled it. But the scene is really cute. It is very sweet. Moiraine does admit to Lan that she said that they were not equals because she does think that Lan is her better, um, which is our theory. And it was great to have her confirm it. Yeah. And then they rebond, which is spirit, air, and a little bit of water. Very cool weave. And it, it looks great. It also looks intimate as hell, which, you know, that makes sense. It's a bond. But like, so I'm sorry to keep harping on this. This season is done. Hopefully we'll never have to deal with this again. But there are very specific mechanics for bonding in the books that are very simple. And I just don't understand why you don't just follow those mechanics if you're going to even address it at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not not a fan of how they handled it. But, you know. I think this is one area where 
only having read the books and not remembering them very well, to be perfectly honest, stands me in good stead because it means I just don't care. Yeah. If they get things wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it just, I don't notice it. It doesn't bother me. I can just move on. I want to say that they did this 360 shot that's like both a close up and an overhead shot. And the whole thing is just beautiful. Like so well, like a masterpiece in cinematography. It is absolutely gorgeous i i just wanted to call that out because it was just great like i went back and watched it over again several times because like the whole thing is just so smooth they did a couple of 360 shots like that in this episode that were really well shot it is beautiful and when i started being like when i was first watching it with my husband he's always the one who i watch the episodes first with and i was like what what they're rebonding he was like shut up it just it looks cool just shut up don't worry about it just watch it just watch it (laughs) watch the pretty shot he and i are on the same wavelength (laughs) Like they're on a beach in Morocco. Uh, Apparently, this is the first show that is, or movie that is ever filmed on that beach. Oh, except that plenty of well, I was going to say plenty of shows have filmed in um, Esauera, which I believe was the stand-in for Falm. I don't think the beach is is close to that though. I know it's in Morocco, but I'm not sure how close it is to the city. I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually know specifically, but I would be surprised if it wasn't kind of near there. Just because if that's where they're based and the studio that they filmed in as well is like, I want to say about four hours in the other direction from Esauera because it's like two hours to, to Marrakesh and then maybe another, well, it may be a little longer uh, to the Warzazat. I think that's the name of the town. So it would make sense that it's all like kind of around there. Yeah. It's probably close, but not too close because you don't want the city in the background yeah yeah so it's far enough out that it, i can see i maybe found a, a location that hadn't been used anywhere before yeah because they talked about how that added like a bunch of logistical challenges to shooting the the land and moiraine beach scenes um because no one had ever shot there before that's cool so i appreciate their commitment also listener if you're wondering why fenya knows all of this very specific stuff about marrakesh fenya did some on the ground corresponding over the summer and went to marrakesh <laughs> and uh saw presumably the town where they filmed did you am i getting that right uh, so I did I did actually go to Sawera, yeah. I didn't go to the studio. So there's two studios that they film um, or that, that are used for filming in Warzazat, which again, I believe it's Warzazat, but I could be misremembering. And I went to the larger of the two, but that was not the right one. <laughs> and I did not go to the smaller one, which means clearly I have to go back to Morocco. Obviously. Obviously, yeah. Clearly. When we do our Wheel of Time site tour. Yes. But also, (laughs) I suspect that uh, I wouldn't have recognized, even if I had gone to the smaller studio, I wouldn't have recognized any of the sets. Like, when I went, I would have recognized them retroactively, seeing them on screen, like I did with Asawera, which actually, that was pretty cool. I was like, I think that I know where you are filming right now. Very cool. In the city of Falm, Perrin's uh, Taveran work is really working because it brings Ingtar, Masama, and Loyal to him and the Maidens. They they coincidentally meet up. And if you're like, what is this? Remember, Perrin is Taveran. The pattern will work in mysterious ways around him. Yeah. Uh, they have the Horn of Valir. We don't see them get the horn on screen. Sure, I guess. A, again, a scene that I actually would have really liked to see. A, I feel like it would have been cool. B, let me just remind you that this season is based on a book called The Great Hunt for the Horn of Valir, and yet, when we acclaim the Horn of Valir, it is off screen? What the F? Okay, I agree with you about wanting to have a scene where they actually get it, but I'd 
think it's fine that even though the sh- the book is called The Great Hunt, that they like. I don't necessarily think that that reasoning is enough for them to include it, even though I think that it would have actually been useful for the show as a whole. So they did apparently film more scenes with Ingtar at some point. I don't know if they specifically filmed him finding the horn, but they did film a, a scene that didn't make it into the final cut because Rafe was saying that it took away too much from the overall arc of the story. Like, it was such a small, it was such an overpowering scene, and it was such a minor detail that when watching it, people who hadn't read the books and weren't absolutely running for the scene or looking for it, didn't, it didn't, it took away, like, it took away from the importance of everything else that happened, and it became too much of the focus, so it ended up getting cut. So I don't know if that would be part of it or not. Uh, we can talk about what happened with Ingtar when we get to the part that got shortened, but yeah. What do we have to do to get the Judkins cuts of this and season one, episode one? Um, he did say that they are hoping to release it as a bonus deleted scenes, like DVD type bonus material at some point. I was going to say, can we get them to release some of them at Jordan Con? I would, I would love that. Because I think that would be great. <laughs> Even if they're released wild, um, like wildly afterwards and you can get them anywhere. Yeah. I still think it'd be a lot of fun to have... Like, that would be a really cool, you know, Jordan Con exclusive. Yeah. Or first look. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. Like, you want to talk to Rafe for me? That would be great. Oh, I want to talk to Rafe. I'll call him up. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk to Rafe. Also, Amazon, what do I have to do to get these on on Blu-ray? Where are my Wheel of Time Blu-rays? I suppose they'd be like, I don't want to do that because it would take away from people streaming. Amazon, I'm going to keep Prime regardless. I promise. I promise I'm not going to cancel my Prime subscription if you you have Wheel of Time. Be on Blu-ray. I swear. We can all (laughs) promise on this podcast. (laughs) Like, please. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't think so. Amazon doesn't do it. It's very annoying. No. They, Ingtar mentions um, that a lady from Carrion is the one who helps them find the horn. And when I first watched this, I was like, what lady from Carrion? And then I was like, oh, that lady from Carrion. It's Lanfear. Is it Lanfear? (laughs) Yeah, so I'm assuming that it's Lanfear. A, because Lanfear's whole plot arc this episode is messing up Ishamayel's plans. B, because Bael Dolmon, when he sees her, he's like, Lady Celine, you're a long way from Carrion. Which means that Bael Dolmon has also seen Celine as a lady from Carrion. Um, yeah, so I was at first I was like, who is this lady? But it's Lanfear. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I sort of missed that or just blew past it. It's a It's a weird line if you're not looking for it. Yeah. Ingtar, they're like they have a debate about whether or not they get out of Falm with the horn or whether they go and save Egwene. Perrin and Loyal and the maidens are, of course, like, we need to save Egwene. Ingtar is like, we have the horn, let's go. And then Loyal, my theory here is that Loyal speechifies the dark frontedness right out of Ingtar with his with his epic speech about how they are the heroes of today and they need to save the heroes of today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which was intercut, like his speech about being the heroes of the day, like and it's cut with shots of you see Perrin's face and you see Matt and you see Rand and you see Egwene and Nynaeve like you're seeing a little bit of everybody in action like it's just really cool like a list of really cool like speech as a whole and the way they shot it was really cool 
Yeah, I really like it. Um, clearly, it has an effect on Ingtar. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, then we get to Rena and Egwene. They are up on the tower with the rest of the Sildam and Damane um, and part of the Falm Defense Force. Rena is like trying to motivate Egwene to channel. And Egwene is sort of like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to channel. I'm like, shouldn't Rena be able to force her to channel? But that's mm-hmm. okay. We'll just move right on past that. And then Egwene sees that the White Cloaks are in the town, and she's like, oh, hell no, and channels a massive fireball and takes out so many of them and is just, like, so fierce. Uh, and then Rena calls her good girl, and I wanted to stab Rena in the throat. Ugh. Yeah, gross, yeah. gross. Hate it. Hate her. Hate every time that Rena calls Egwene good girl. And looks she's just like, ah, look at my little dog. In my notes, I just said Rena is creepy. It's true. Rand sneaks in uh, all the way into like Turok's inner court again just the sneakiest boy just taking advantage of all of the chaos uh, to sneak all the way in as Turok and his soldiers are coming out they've realized the horn has been stolen um, and so they are coming out to go get it back and uh, we see Rand encounter them and Turok notices his hair and marked blade and is like aha the blade master let's see how good they are on this side of the Aerith Ocean. and rand said not today and kills all of them <laughs> with bullets of fire <laughs> rand pulls an indiana jones and he sees the the guy with the sword and pulls out the gun and shoots him yep yep which i'm i know people are upset that we didn't get to see a fight but where would Rand have learned how to use a sword in the show as we've seen it? Errol! You think Errol's lessons would have given him enough to kill Turok? Yeah, that would that would definitely, I'm with Dahl on this one, that would definitely not have been enough. I mean, I, I'm sad that we didn't see the fight with Turok because it's a great fight. But also, it doesn't make sense for the show as we have watched it for it to happen so i think they made the right call and switching it up yeah so it's just funny. <laughs> it is it is also just funny yes but I, I believe rafe has said that we are going to get scenes of rand training uh with lan <gasps> yes so like we will get him doing some some sword stuff at some point presumably guys you know what that means that means that we are going to get presumably shirtless Yosha and shirtless Daniel Henny together on one screen in one scene. I am going to <laughs> die. Ugh. We will need to get you a fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Diana. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Thad, I feel like you have thoughts about this, though. You have been so excited for, for Turok to be a Blade Master. No, I mean, Finny made a good point. Mm. <laughs> I also was kind of wondering how Turok would fight with the nails, so I'm not that mad about it. Again, the worst two fingers. Like, why these two? These are important fingers for many things, including holding swords. Yep. Uh, Rand is getting a lot better with the power. He, like, targets everyone except Turok's voice. But it doesn't matter because Turok's voice kills himself anyway. And then he just sort of sits there twitching, like, the whole time Rand walks past him. Yep. And Rand is sort of like... That's weird. And walks on by. (laughs) I've got more important things to do, I guess. (laughs) We get back to Ingtar, Perrin, and uh, the Maidens, and Loyal, and they're like going through the streets, uh, the alleys. The Maidens are like kind of guiding them, seeing how the battle is flowing. Ingtar at one point says that these women really know battle. And I'm like, Ingtar, did you not fight in the... I but maybe he doesn't. He does seem pretty young. Maybe he was like a child. Um, did the Borderlanders fight in the? I don't know. It's mostly 
Carrion and... And Ilian. I know that there were Ilianers. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, maybe he didn't. You know, the, the Borderlands do kind of have bigger fish to fry than Aeol. Yeah. So maybe he didn't, or maybe like he's never heard of that. But it is interesting that he can like kind of just tell immediately like, yeah, no, they, they're really evaluating the battle. They really know what they're doing. Yeah. And then they get kind of caught in this pincer movement. There are Sean Chan soldiers and soldiers in front of them and behind them. And after Loyal's epic speech, Ingtar is like, "I'm going to hold this this alley." And I'm pretty sure earlier in the scene, they're like, "No, Ingtar, you don't. We don't need to do that. That would be a bad idea." He does it anyway and fights off a couple of Sean Chan soldiers. Isn't you know isn't awful at fighting. But does eventually get stabbed by two spears and dies. He says, like, for the light and Shinoa. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess Ingtar's not a dark friend. Who knew? So I did just look up Ingtar on the Wheel of Time wiki. And it says that he does renounce the Dark One and is killed, presumed to have been killed, defending a narrow alleyway against a large Shanshan patrol in order to allow the others to escape. So, yeah. So this is the scene that was redacted. The fact that he renounced the uh, dark, they filmed it. They said it was a very epic scene. It was really emotional and it was so overpowering in the moment that it took away from everything else that was happening at that moment that they had to take it out because <laughs> like the fact that he was a dark friend, yeah, that had been hidden at, at some a couple points and it was obviously intended to be in the episode, but it didn't happen. So, and everything else is almost exactly as it was in the books. Like he was defending them so that Matt, and Perrin could get away with the horn. And uh, for some reason, I did not realize he said the light and Shinoa until you said that. I thought he was saying the lion of Shinoa, and I didn't understand <laughs> at all why. Nope, for the light and Shinoa. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. I'm like, was there a lion, Shinoa? Is that his sigil? I think Shinoa's a hawk. <laughs> the light and Shinoa <laughs> makes so much more sense. Yup. I mean, I would have, like, I get that they are making the show for non-book people. Totally fine. Love it. Like, I'm happy for it, considering how many non-book people I am subjecting the show to. I still want the Judkins cut where we see that, because yeah. if the if that scene is super epic and moving, like, give Ingtar his due. Like, give him that character moment, because, like, yes, you're right, Fenya. In the books, he does renounce the Dark One. It's explicit. He does it, like, very explicitly, and it's one of the earliest like a very moving scene early on in the series where it's like oh you as a dark friend like you're not tied to the dark forever very important because later on like not one that i remembered so can't have been that important (laughs) it was very moving (laughs) but yeah it's it's uh i lost my train of thought sorry there's something someone mentions later on in this episode or earlier in, an, in a previous episode in this season that like when you do swear yourself to the dark, you swear yourself forever. So it would be interesting to see that that's not actually true. I think it's Landfear is talking to Leandrin and she's like, you swear to the dark forever. Yeah. Like a part of his speech is that no man is so far in, gone into the shadow that he can't come back. And it, it's a very moving speech that he gave in the books. And apparently they filmed it and... It was there, and he didn't want to cut it, but he did. So I want to see it. So <laughs> give it to us. I'm I'm glad that they filmed it at least. I'm glad that they are aware. Yeah. Because I was I was like, you have been hinting this entire season that Ingtar was a dark friend, and all of a sudden it's like, nah, Loyal made one major speech, and I'm good now. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I would like to see what it looked like with it. 
but we didn't get it. Maybe someday. Again, I, I kind of, I mean, I would love to see that scene. And I'm glad that they filmed it. And I hope that we do get the Judkins cut. But I also think that they made the right decision and in not including it. Because it does sound like it would move the focus from, like, the main action. Yeah. I understand why I did it. Doesn't mean I didn't. I don't want to see it. Like, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We get back to Moiraine and Lan, who are, they're back, baby. We are back. We have Moiraine channeling. Lan and Moiraine are bonded. We are back to the Moiraine and Lan that we had season one, episode one. And God, it feels good. They're smiling at each other. Moiraine is walking super fast. They can read each other's thoughts. Like, they are just, oh, they're like totally in sync. She's also lost her overdress somewhere on the beach. It's probably hot on that beach. But that's fine. It seemed like a really expensive dress. She's a she's a lady of Carrion. It's fine. She'll be fine. It was hot in Morocco. I can understand not wanting to wear it. Even on a cold day in San Francisco, when I'm walking down the beach, I get hot. Walking on a beach is hard. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about the Forsaken um, and Ishamael and Lanfear and Luce Theron and how they were friends, best friends, when they were uh, in the Age of Legends. And then Lan makes the comment, just like these kids, which I think is really cute. Although I do want to know, I want to know who in Lan's mind is who. Like, I want to I want to know the parallels. Yeah. Moiraine mentions that uh, Ishamayel probably didn't free the other Forsaken because they're too dangerous, to which I say, Moiraine, you said that Lanfear was the most dangerous Forsaken earlier this season? I mean, more dangerous to him. Definitely more dangerous to parts of Rand. <laughs> <laughs> this is too dangerous to have all of them out. Yes. Yeah, it is very dangerous to all of our our Edmonds Field Five and main characters to have all of the Forsaken on the loose. That is that is true, and I do not quibble with that line. Uh, also, my note here is that Ileana really broke up a thruple in Ishamael, <laughs> Landfair, and Loose Theron, and I don't blame Landfair and Loose Theron, or not Loose Theron, Landfair and Ishamael for being mad, especially Landfair for being mad that Ileana took her man away. Like she took her man, she took her best friend. That's so annoying to have some <laughs> other girl come in and just like have a man like abandon. Your friendship for a girl. So irritating. I don't blame Landfear at all. Returning to the dark. <laughs> it's irritating. Um, we get to Bail Domon. We see more Bail Domon. And he Landfear comes up to him with her master plan. We find out that Landfear is the one who sold him the shards of Quendiar in episode one, which makes a lot of sense for why the Fades were following him. Mm -hmm. This is where he refers to her as the Lady Celine and says that she's a long way from Carrion, which is where I was like, aha, light bulb. And Landfear has a plan. She has asked Beldomon to stay in the city so that after the battle is over, she can give him a lot of Quendiar. To have him dump it into the deepest parts of the ocean. She really does not want the other Forsaken out and about. She wants to be the only Forsaken around. Yes. Which I thought was interesting because in the books, Rand has Bale take the uh, black shackles. I guess Rand didn't do it. Somebody did. Um, the ones they find in Chanchico, which is basically the male Adam. That would have been Nynaeve, probably. Or Elaine. Maybe Elaine or Gwaine. Or somebody that was there. It may have been Varen. Mm, that makes sense. Um, one of the Isodai there told him to take it and go as far as he could and dump it in the deepest part of the ocean. So it's interesting that that sort of, a, they took that concept, but it's Lanfear telling him to do it with the other seals, which, we, as we find out later, does not happen. Yep. It is hinted at in the next scene. When we first see, so we're in Sir Oth's room in the next scene, Ishamayel walks in. When he first walks in, he's dusting his hands off. And I was like, what a weird shot 
to have, I was like, is Shamel doing some building while this is going on? Did he get knocked down in the fight? Like, what a weird shot to have him be dusting his hands off. We only learn later why his hands were so dusty. So like the episode, we will save that for now. Also, Saroth has a, a lizard. Is that, is that a, a baby girl? Oh, maybe. I totally <laughs> missed that. Oh, my God. I hope so. <laughs> I think it was like some kind of salamander, but like maybe that was their... This is our Grom. We can't afford to have <laughs> Grom watch. Take note. <laughs> we do see one. It's a salamander in a cage. Ishamael is tells Seroth that she needs to take her strongest, Damane and Soldan, go on a ship and be prepared to uh, to create a shield. He asks her, do her Soldan and Damane know how to shield and gentle a man? And she gives him this look where she's like, of course they do, you moron. She's so sassy with him. She knows that Turok is dead. Ishamael does not, presumably because he has been busy doing whatever he was doing, getting his hands dusty. But yeah, she tells him that Turok is dead, and which means that she is now in charge. Wah ha ha. Then we get to Matt back with the dagger. He's uh, really trying to figure out how to deal with this dagger and have it not tempt him. He uses his two brain cells so effectively <laughs> to make a spear. <laughs> It, an, a spear or a, an ashendari? I can't pronounce ashendari. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can pronounce it now. I normally I can't <laughs> pronounce that word, so I was going with spear. <laughs> I do kind of wonder though. Like that looks like the dagger's gonna fall off. I'm sorry, but it is not secured nearly well enough to stay. I mean, uh, what is he doing, Matt? Presumably, at some point, maybe at some point he will, you know. Give it a better tie. He, he's a Taveran. The laws of physics don't apply. That's true. <laughs> Clearly not. I do kind of hope, I mean, as much as I love this scene, I do kind of hope that it is not in the final form of his Ashandarai. I don't think it will be. I hope not. This It would be a weird departure for Matt's character to use the cursed dagger for the rest of the series in this, this like, janky, low-budget Ashandari. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't feel correct for Matt at all. No. But he uses it now to uh, break out of the cell. And Pat and Fane is at first like, ha ha ha, I knew you would use the dagger. And then he's like, oh, you didn't touch it. Oh, shoot, you're not actually evil. And like runs away and goes and gets guards. The guards come and try to attack Matt. Matt stabs one of them. And at first I thought the guy's face turned black. And then I realized that's just the Sean Chan black face makeup. Yeah. And then Matt is like, oh, God, too many guards and runs away and does his little like scramble run where he's like essentially punching the air as he's running. It's he's so cute. It's great. Thank you so much for joining us on Tarvalin Talks. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about, feel free to send us an email to producer.tvt at gmail.com. Or you can join us on tarvalin.net. In our general forums, we have a special thread called Tarvalin Talks pinned at the top of the page. You can also chat with us via tarvalin.net's Discord server in the Tarvalin Talks Discord channel. Stay tuned for part two, where we wrap up discussing episode eight of season two of the TV show. See you soon.